And with all my heart, I just asked, God, show me the way. It's not right that my father is this way. I wanted to see him healed. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking today in good faith with Leiji Lessa. Thank you for coming into the studio. Oh, thank you, Stephen. Thanks for inviting me. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Leiji has studied languages and was a business owner in Sao Paulo, Brazil for 10 years. Since 1998, a practitioner of Christian science healing, lives right now in Quincy, Massachusetts, and lectures in English, Portuguese, Spanish, and German as a member of the Christian Science Board of Lectureship. Boy, we should have a whole interview just about your language experience. <laughs> That's so amazing to me. Oh, thank you. But, you know, I always say that the the most important language that we all speak is the language of love. Mm. So, Well, we can stop one. the program right there. Okay? <laughs> We've gotten to the important stuff. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that? How were you raised and what experiences do you have? that make you feel that way? It's interesting because uh, I was thinking about this uh, last night and this morning. The first time in my life when I really felt the presence of God, I was about eight years old. My father was Catholic, and uh, so I went to catechism, you know, the whole year. And I remembered the teacher, before we went to Mass, she asked us all, okay, now let's take a moment Everyone will pray silently, and then we will go together. And at that moment, and Stephen, I can remember exactly, as I'm telling you, I can feel it. I closed my eyes. I don't remember how I prayed, but I felt the presence of God. And then the teacher said, oh, now I know who is really ready (laughs) for this. And then I didn't say anything, but I felt, yes, I am ready. Mm. I felt God for the first time in such a deep way. And that was my first start, my first love with church in general. And then I went on to do more things. But when I felt really the presence of God again in a very important way was when I was 12 years old. My mother passed on when I was 10, Mm-hmm. And then when I was 11, 11 and a half, my father became uh, mentally ill. And, uh, and you know, I started going to church with my father. And uh, his disease started increasing. And, uh, and then he had to stop working. And then he was at home. And it was very, very hard at home. Uh, and then I remembered going one day to this big, big Catholic church that was a few blocks away from my house. And I remembered kneeling down and looking at this huge, huge cross uh, mm. of Jesus. But uh, I, I just felt that I needed to talk to love, to God. And with all my heart, I just asked, God, show me the way. It's not right that my father is this way. I wanted to see him healed. And then I remembered right after that, uh, you know, somebody started playing with the guitar and I felt at home and, and I stayed a long time there just by myself praying. But then I, you know, I studied music as well and I had piano lessons. So one day after having a hard time with my father at home. And, you know, I am the youngest at home. My siblings are much, much older than me. Mm. So I used to go to school early in the morning, and um, I am originally from Brazil. And during my time, I only had three hours of school in the morning from 7 to 10. So I would come very early back home, and I would spend the whole day with a maid that we had at home taking care of my father. And it was very hard. And one day I went to my piano lesson, and I started playing, but I started making a lot of mistakes. And uh, my teacher asked me, oh, lady, why didn't you do your homework? Uh, What happened with you? And at that time, I just burst into tears. And then I told her everything that I was experiencing. And again, up to this day, I remember her turning around, and he picked up a a magazine from her purse. And she gave it to me. And she said, why don't you read this magazine? 
And this magazine was called The Herald of Christian Science. Mm. And she said, there are a lot of articles there, and there are testimonies of healings. Maybe you will feel better. And by the way, she said, (laughs) I'm going to a church, and they have, that's how she told me, okay? She said, "Uh, they have a little school, and I think they're nice. Why don't you go there? So she gave me the address, and I went home. I can tell you that I took that magazine and I devoured that magazine. I read it from cover to cover and I felt much better. And on the following Sunday, I went to that little school Uh (laughs) that was a Sunday school, you know, the Christian Uh Science Sunday School. And um, I was there and I told, I, I was introduced to a teacher, a Sunday school teacher. I told him my story and he gave me a Bible. He gave me the Christian Science textbook, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. Right. Then he gave me another magazine called um, the Christian Science Bible Lessons. And he gave me a chalk, and he said, look, you can study the Bible lesson, and it will be helpful to you. You know, I had to mark those books. He gave me markers, and but, you know, I always loved to read. <laughs> I was very curious uh, since I was a little kid, and so I, and I was also, also very obedient. So I went home, marked my books, and started praying. So my father got worse. Then um, my three siblings and I, we took my father to a hospital to be diagnosed, and he was diagnosed with this uncurable mental disease. And then they said he needs to go to a hospital right away. So we took him to a hospital, to a psychiatric hospital where, where he was. But I took, in, I took to heart what I was learning in that Sunday school. And I started reading this Bible lesson every day, you know, uh, passages from the Bible and from science and health. And every time that I read something about man or about God, I would think of my father and of myself. Mm -hmm. I also had a little notebook. I would make notes. And um, to make a long story short, I would visit my father on a weekly basis, but I was applying everything that I was uh, reading. And I, I just was very, you know, innocent, I would say. And I had this childlike thought Uh, knowing that all things are possible to God, as the Bible promises us. And guess what? Three months later, my father was released from the hospital and lived more than 20 years completely healed. Mm. He never had any mental problems again. So this was... That was evidence to you. Exactly. It Mm. was the evidence to me. I'm going to move this barely down. Just barely down. Okay. Thank you. As you said, this was really evidence to me, and I I knew from that point on that I could trust God. But one thing that was also very important that I was also thinking how God uh, was so real to me and helped me then so much. Remember, as I mentioned to you before, my mother passed on when I was 10, and um, I had an uncle who came and visited us. Uh, And as you know, when somebody passes on, family members come and they visit. And I was a little kid. They try and be helpful. They try to be helpful, exactly. And they mentioned to people who came over and over, and he said, you know, Lourdes, that was the name of my mother, Lourdes started becoming ill after Leiju was born. And he repeated that several times. I didn't tell this to anybody, but... I started feeling, oh, my gosh, what a horrible person I am. I'm responsible. Exactly. I'm Mm. responsible for my mother's death. And that was the beginning of what I later on find out. It was the beginning of a deep depression. I became suicidal. And uh, the first time I thought of committing suicide, I was 11 years old. And we were living at that time on the 13th floor. And uh, I, I I was feeling so bad, Steve, so bad that I opened the window. And I was, you know, up to this day, I was never afraid. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not afraid of height. I'm not afraid of anything. So I opened the window and I said, oh, I can just jump. Because if I jump here, what's going to happen? And there were some trees and some things. And I said, I, I will just be dead, and then all my problems will be solved. And then there was a a playground 
there, and I heard kids play. And you know, remember the Bible says of the still small voice. It was exactly like a still small voice coming to me. Lady, are you sure you want all those kids playing the play in the playground, seeing you with blood yeah. and that?、Mm. Do you want to cause them this kind of feeling? And then I remember, Steve. I closed the the window quickly and I said, "No, no, I don't want them to feel bad." But that was God talking to me, in a way that I could understand, in a way that saved me, that protected me, and that still small voice also came on other times when I also thought of committing suicide. That was so easy to commit suicide. But、um, now going back and analyzing those times, and I remember some of them perfectly. <laughs> it was always this voice of love,、mm. the love of this our Father, and I like to think of God as our Father Mother. So God has this loving Father Mother voice that speaks to us when we need it and protects us. Did you write these things down at the time, or they were just such strong experiences that you remember them? They are so strong that I remember up to this day. I can tell you exactly where I was,、hmm. how I was feeling, because both were so strong. You know, when you go into this what they call mental disease, or when you get suicidal. It's so strong. It's something that you cannot control, and it appears to be so real. So I can still feel that, but more stronger than that is the feeling of listening to that still small voice telling me, in a way that I could understand. No, your life is worth it. I love you. You need to do something. And I started talking about love, and it was so interesting because. Also, when I needed to make a big, big decision in my life, and I didn't know what to do, I had to decide. I was、uh, studying abroad, and I had to go back home, and I had to be just financially independent. And I had studied music and languages, and you know, I am from Brazil, <laughs> and those professions don't lead to a high-paying job. <laughs> so I was perhaps not anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Yes, <laughs> and I was really kind of desperate. How am I going to make a living? Either with music or with languages, I talked to people. I read about it, but one day, Steve, it came to me again. This is still a small voice, but so clear. It could only be God, and it said, "Your true job is to express love in everything you do," and that calmed me down. So, whatever you did, whatever you, I did, that would be your job. Exactly. So I I started with a very humbling, simple teaching job. At the beginning, I was even paying to work <laughs> because I was spending more time, more money, and in, in transportation than <laughs> than I was I was、uh, earning. But in in a few months, I was financially independent. And this, you know, is decades ago. I changed careers all the time, but I never changed my true job. To express love. Interesting, because that will be a constant. Exactly. You talk about this voice. Maybe I might call that the spirit of God or、mm-hmm. or the voice of God direction. Do you think other people experience that, but don't know what it is? Of course. Or are our lives just so loud, we don't have a still small moment to recognize a still small voice? Because My- I am very impressed that you knew what that was. <laughs> that it wasn't just a random stray thought, even as young as you were.、Mm-hmm. As I mentioned to you before, this childlike thought, this innocence, this open-hearted, this is what enables us to identify the voice of God,、mm. or what some people call the voice of devil, or this business, or this anxiety or fear.、Mm-hmm. When we are open, and we when we want. To listen to God, when we trust God, when we know that God is our Almighty Power, the Almighty Creator, that we can really rest on the shadows of this Almighty, as the Psalm ninety ninety first says, we can identify it. And it's as I mentioned before too, 
this voice comes to people in ways that they can hear, that they can understand. It can come as an intuition. It can come as a thought. It can come through a conversation when people are talking to each other. But every one of us is able to listen to that still, small voice. And, you know, this term appears in the Bible. In the first Kings, chapter 19, when Elijah heard that still, small voice. And he was also afraid. He was afraid he would be killed. And he went to Mount Horeb because he wanted to see God. And after the wind, after the earthquake, and after the fire, when he saw that God was not in that destructive wind, destructive earthquake, or destructive fire, he heard the still small voice. He knew exactly what he was going to do, and he was safe. Later in your life, you moved to Boston to work at the Christian Science Publishing Society, and you began volunteering at a local jail, serving as a Spanish-speaking chaplain and a reader, which is a position mm-hmm. in Christian science to, to be a reader in, exactly. in a congregation. Yes. Um, you were there for eight years. Yes. Did you see people who maybe hadn't recognized it before starting to recognize that voice? Many, many times, over and over again. First, I needed to let that voice also calm me down, <laughs> you know, because when I when I first went, and it was interesting because I had never heard of this before that uh, somebody could volunteer at a jail. I came from Brazil. I, I had lived in other countries before, but in Brazil, we never did that. So when, when I was in Boston and they asked me if I would like to be a volunteer, I said yes, but I didn't know what I was, what to expect. I had no idea. But um, one thing I was certain, I wanted to dedicate my life to help people. I wanted to dedicate my life to help people to find God. To know that God, as Psalm 46 says, God is an ever-present help in trouble. Hmm. So no matter where we are, God is right there to help you if you are willing and if you open your heart. So I saw during those eight years that I was there, I talked individually with over 500 inmates. I kept journals, so I recorded some healings that I that I experienced when people learned about the Bible and and also the textbook of uh, Christian Science, um, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, written by Mary Baker Eddy. I saw sentences being shortened. I saw people who were being accused, and they were telling me that they were innocent. And, and we prayed together that we can never just be pressed to say something wrong or to lie, even mm. to defend ourselves. Mm. I am a stronger believer of moral values. So saying the truth is very important in all circumstances. And even Mary Bickready says that truth is the victor. So I worked with that inmate I prayed with him for six months, and uh, he was uh, being. Com- they were trying to. Com- he was going to be convicted. Oh, mm-hmm. that's what you say, right? He's going to be sentenced. Sentenced. Thank you. He was going to be sentenced and probably guilty of first degree murder. And he told me, "No, I promised you, I didn't do that. I I wasn't able to do it. It was just somebody else did. But they they put." a whole show just to incriminate him. And uh, and his lawyer was telling him, you know, you just say that you that you did, and then you are just going to get 15 years. But if you are a good guy, five years later, uh, maybe you can be freed. And he would cry in front of me saying, I can't say this. No, I can't murder anyone. So we sticked together that truth is always the victor. And I, I prayed with him several months. He was in the, how do you call the, the, the highest security? Maximum. Thank you. So he was in the maximum security floor. And I would come and see him every Saturday. And I would spend half an hour, 40 minutes on 101. And we prayed up to a few days before the trial. And then I didn't know what was going to happen. 
But I was so happy. Then one day I was in the office. He looked up my phone number. And uh, one day my phone rung and he called me and said, Lady, guess what? I was found not guilty. I'm free. And this was such a, wow. a proof that truth, God, is always the victor. I also want to say that you know when Jesus began his ministry recorded in Luke, one of the things that he does, quoting Isaiah, is that he will free the captives. I can't help but have that pop in my mind about that work you were helping to do. Yeah, Along the way, even with those assurances, did you have either difficult times or wondering times where you thought, is God real? Have I misunderstood this? Or have you always just had that be a given? In those critical times when I had very critical, strong, severe crisis of depression, when I wanted to commit suicide and I was planning how to commit suicide. In those moments, you don't think that God is real. You don't think of God. You mm-hmm. are just thinking of your anxiety and your desire to just be freed of that. But I remember once I was, um, I was driving and I was, dri- I was in Brazil, and I was driving in a very curvy road. And I was feeling so mad, and I was in that horrible crisis. And I was driving, you know, I was going 60, 70, 80, 100 miles. And in those curves, the thought came to me, don't make the curve. You can just go straight. And then you, you're going to be, you're going to die instantaneously. And in that I mean, where is God in that time, right? But again, as I was doing, okay, I will do this. I will do this. A thought came to me. But lady, you are driving your sister's car. Do you want your sister to feel bad? And then I said, oh, no, no, I don't want that. So what is my point here to answer your question? Even in those moments when maybe you feel you're not thinking about God, God is such a present help in trouble that he makes his voice heard in a way that we understand. In that moment, similar to that moment that I mentioned to you before about the window, right? God talked to me and I heard it. And in other times when the crisis were not as strong, I would say, I know I read a lot of healings. I know that God can heal. God can heal me. What do I have to learn? And one thing that I, that I prayed several times was, God, show me what I need to know. Mm-hmm. I want to be healed. I don't want to, to have those, those thoughts. Another Bible verse says, I know the thoughts that I will have towards you, thoughts of peace, to give you an expected end. So the expected end is peace, is health, is joy, is happiness. So when we know that, we are able to overcome those horrible moments that we might face in life and be rescued by divine love, the presence of God. You've worked 14 years at the Publishing Society, the last six as the managing editor of the Herald of yes. Christian Science. <laughs> the same magazine that I was given when I was 12. <laughs> full see? circle, full, full circle. Full circle, full circle. What is the goal of what, as the editor, you're trying to do in the world with the content that you choose or you supervise to be in that publication? As the managing editor of the Herald of Christian Science, I was always looking for personal stories and personal experiences when people could really share how the love of God had saved them, helped them, healed them, and how they could explain to others in a tangible way so that others could also stop and think, oh, that person did. God was so real in their lives and and helped them. God can help me too. So those 14 years that I worked at the Publishing Society was really to glorify God and to show to the world that God is indeed 
an ever-present help in trouble, that God is indeed a loving Father, that what Jeremiah says is so true. Jeremiah says, Heal me and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, because thou art my praise. And it's so wonderful to witness that, how the healing power of love is touching lives on the all corners of this world and is making people feel better and and glorify God. For me, the most important thing in my life is that I gave my life to God. I gave my life to Christ. I gave up my career as a business owner to help people, to tell them that God is a loving God, that God saves, that God helps, that God heals, that God cures, that all things are possible to God. And I go, you know, in many parts of the world, I'm here in Salt Lake City to do exactly that, Uh, but to share with people my own experience and how the knowledge of the Bible can help us to find answers and lasting solutions, even when we are experiencing the hardest, the deepest moments in our lives. God is right there. And you mentioned this kind of at the beginning as a personal mantra for you or personal direction, but I think it's certainly any of us could choose this, which is whatever we're doing to be thinking, but my real job is to express love. Exactly. Leiji Lessa, thank you so much for speaking with me today in good faith. Thank you very much for having me. It was such a joy. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll hear a panel of listeners talk about the ideas presented by our guest from the First Church of Christ Scientist, Leiji Lessa. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts of stories of faith and belief. Have you ever hoped or prayed for healing for yourself or someone you love? Most of us have. How is your faith affected by the way things turned out? Leiji said that God speaks to us in a way that we can understand, even if it's a different way than he might speak to someone else. Is there a particular way that God speaks to you? We invited a group of people to listen to our guest and then respond. Marcus Smith loves taking long walks with his wife whenever their young children permit them the luxury. Leanna Cannon is a radio producer. She loves travel, thrift shopping, and trying new foods. Brad Wilcox is a professor in the Department of Ancient Scripture at Brigham Young University. He and his wife have four children and eight grandchildren. Christy Gardner is a best-selling author of three books, a public speaker, wife, and mother of three children. I was really touched by the beginning of that interview where she was talking about how she really wanted to see her father healed, and she learned to talk to God. I agreed with that principle. I feel like over my life, I've learned to talk to God as well, and I could actually relate a lot to that experience. My mother also has a lot of illnesses, and she's had illnesses ever since I was young. My mom taught me how to pray, I guess, in the a formal sense. I would go to her bedside at night and she taught me, you know, how to address God and we would say Heavenly Father. And she kind of taught me how to pray. But my mom was always ill, so I'd always go to her bedside. And every night since I was a child, I always said, please bless that mama will get well. And I was touched by this story because I thought that she had a lot of faith I thought it was very interesting to hear that miracle at the end, how her father seemed to live a lot longer. He didn't seem to have as many of the problems, I suppose, and challenges that they were facing. And I do believe that that's a miracle, and I do believe that that's an answer from God. But I also believe that that's not the only way to show faith. And just because the healing isn't apparent to you doesn't mean that God isn't answering your prayers. Didn't you notice that she was very generous in allowing space for different types of ways that God might speak to us? And the end of the way you're talking about it, that that God's workings in our lives might 
allow for one person to be healed, but maybe another person not healed. Her examples extended, I think, from God might talk to you through friends and the conversations you have with friends, or you might feel that still, or hear the still small voice. She gave multiple examples, and very generously, of, of, of how she said the intuition and our thoughts could be the way God might speak. And I, I really like that. I did too. I love how she talked about God speaking to us in a way I could understand. And I think that that's true. God speaks to all of us in different ways. I believe if you speak German, God will speak to you in German. If you speak French, God will speak to you in French. Likewise, he finds different ways to speak to us. I remember a time when I was really wondering about something. And I was watching my kids playing by the side of a reservoir, and the mountains were in the background, and it was absolutely beautiful. And I was praying in my heart, God, I need to understand this particular thing. And I had my earbuds in and was listening to John Denver. And the lyrics that came across on that song answered my prayer. And I thought, is it possible that God could speak in John Denver lyrics? If you remember the movie, Oh God, he spoke to John Denver. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, and I think I've had similar experiences where, you know, I've heard a, a song or something, or even just I work at the radio, and I've prayed for about questions and asked God to kind of help me work through things in my mind. And the next day, listening to, you know, different um, segments, radio segments, I get answers, like almost directly through the materials that I'm listening to, and they're from different voices of my coworkers. But I think the the commonality that we're seeing in what Leiji experienced and what you experienced and what you experienced, I think the commonality is that there's a need In Leiji's life, it was that her mom had died. Her dad was mentally ill. She was dealing with suicidal tendencies and depression. Her desire to communicate with God grew out of a need, your need to try to see that your mom was healed, your need to feel gratitude or to feel close to God in that beautiful setting. There's There's a need that kind of spurs that. And I think that that's, it's wonderful that people will turn to God for that need because many people in the world have decided that God is the problem and that God is part of the problem. And I love that Leiji was saying, no, he's part of the solution. And in each of the cases that you've been talking about, you're turning to God seeking the solution. And I think that to go along with that, that the solution isn't always to fix the problem, if that makes sense. Because in my case, I think that's something that I have been learning over my lifetime. As I remember when I was in college, I just was so upset. I think my mom was in the hospital again. And I just broke down thinking, well, do I not know how to pray? Does this Is this not working? I've prayed ever since I was a child that she will get well. And she's obviously getting more sick. I didn't see that apparent healing, but I think I've learned that it's not always fix the problem is the answer. And God knows all. She said all things are possible through God. And I believe that, that he can do all things, but sometimes the answer is not fix the problem because just like her piano teacher is teaching her, you know, how to learn the piano through practice. I think God is teaching us all through these ways. And if he takes away any of the, all of the challenges, how will we ever progress and learn? I love that she said, I knew I could trust God. And she developed that at eight years old, this knowledge that she could trust God. And yet she went on in her life to experience the death of her mother, the mental illness of her father, her own mental illness as she struggled with these suicidal thoughts and tendencies and ideations. And yet she knew where to turn to God. And how did this foundation that she had cultivated help her through this? Just because in our own individual lives, however we experience a higher power, however we experience God, just because we choose to experience God does not mean we are freed from the adversities of a life experience. Yeah, in Leiji's experience, Steve asked her, well, when she said her 
father had been miraculously healed, Steve said, well, then this was the evidence that allowed you to trust God. But I agree with you. I think her trust of God came much earlier than that. And I think her trust of God would have seen her through even if her father hadn't been healed. Faith is not just knowing that God can. Sometimes faith is knowing why he doesn't and seeing a bigger picture and a broader plan. I agree. And there's also an element here of agency, of being an agent. Leiji said, God is there to help you if you are willing and if you open your heart. She chose to believe in something greater and higher than herself. One of those contingencies that I picked up on, I'd be very interested to know if you heard this as well. If anxiety is present, if the fear is present, then you can't hear the voice of God so well, or you don't feel the love of God so well. And I heard her say this a couple of times, right from the very beginning. She's talking about the, the language of love, and, and I immediately thought about perfect love casting out fear, a scriptural thought. And this kind of dichotomy, she even at one point talked about maybe the voice of the adversary or the devil or so. I don't know how she said it. She may have said Satan. And, and then she quickly said the voice of anxiety. It's mm-hmm. as, though, yes. as though you have oil and water, that the love will cast out the fear or the fear must diminish if the love is going to and yet, be operative. And yet she did point out that even in moments you aren't thinking about God or maybe you can't access this godly feeling because of the fear or anxiety, she said a higher power is still thinking of us, going back to that agency part where she still chose God. I agree that there is a difference between, I think our emotions, like those fears and those anxieties, they are given to us to help us also attune to our spirituality. And I recently got married. And when I was trying to make that decision of, should I marry this person? It was a very spiritual experience for me and very trying experience. And one thing that I faced was, you know, I would get that anxiety feeling and that anxious feeling thinking, okay, well, that must be the wrong answer to go down that road because I'm feeling anxious and I'm feeling confused. But when I thought of ending the relationship, I also felt anxious and confused. And when I told one of my friends, I said, well, when I think of pursuing this, I feel very anxious and confused. So that must be wrong. She had said something that I have come to really know and believe is that God speaks through peace. Whether that's a yes or that's a no, it will come as a feeling of peace. That gave a lot more clarity to me because I think that that's how I feel God's spirit and love is through that feeling of peace and comfort. And when I came to really discover that, that's when I was able to say, okay, I don't know everything. There still will be some anxieties, but but this decision makes me feel peace when I've worked myself towards that point. You know, Leiji described feelings of peace as being the goal as well as she talked about the still small voice. I think in my own life, I've learned that it's not just that God will communicate through thoughts and feelings, but sometimes I'm able to recognize when God is communicating as I look for consistent thoughts and feelings. Mm. Because in my own life, you know, everybody's going to have cold feet and everybody's going to be nervous about something or scared about something. But when those feelings of peace come back, or when those feelings of anxiety come back, then I'm able to start recognizing that God's trying to communicate something, and it's not just my own thoughts or my own feelings. A quick experience. I bought a ticket to go on a plane for a conference about six months early, and when I finally got to the airport and I was getting in line to get on the plane, I had the thought, what if this plane goes down? And then I freaked out because I thought, oh, no, God just told me this plane's going down. And if I get on this plane and it goes down, I am going to be so mad because God told me not to get on the plane and I got on anyway. So when I was with the the attendant taking the boarding pass, I literally was having a tug of war. And then finally I thought, oh, for Pete's sake. God has had six months to tell me not to get on this plane if he really didn't want me on this plane. Now, get on the dumb plane and quit being overdramatic. And so I got on, and guess what? I lived to tell about it. Now, I'm not trying to make light of God's communications, but I am 
suggesting that when God is communicating to us, we will feel those feelings consistently, and it will be much more than a knee-jerk reaction or an emotion of the moment. You know, I don't think from what I heard from Leiji that um, – well, I'll put it this way. There's a parallel situation. Do you remember when she was talking about her uncle having said – your mother became ill just when you were born, and then she somehow felt that, that she was to be guilty for that, that she, she felt shame, that there was a connection. It's kind of a deterministic thinking that if that one cause is going to have one effect and they're specific mm-hmm. and you can't do anything and you're kind of trapped and the anxiety goes up with all of that. Your experience, Brad, is very similar in, in, in that you're kind of almost looking for a way to be guilty for not listening to God when God might not be giving you clear signals and so you don't want to get on the plane, but it, it's got to be your fault and you'd be angry or mad. We do this to ourselves. I've done this to myself so many times. I remember even going back as a kid, a really young kid, and somebody said, step on a crack, break your mother's back, and I believed it. You know, I thought, well, I didn't really believe it, but I was superstitious enough. That you jumped over the cracks. That I jumped over the cracks. And and and, and to me, that's not a, that was not conducive to feeling the love of God or his solicitude for our well-being or his guidance that he's going to give us in, in, in our lives. And I think that that is a loud voice when you're hearing, oh, I'm going to break my mother's back or I can't get on this plane. It is the voice of fear. It's loud. And what Leiji taught us today is that the voice of God is still and small. And she went to scripture to give the example. She went to the Old Testament and the story of Elijah and the wind and the fire and then the still small voice. I was fascinated by her connection to the written text. It began when she was very young, she was given some materials to read. She cited scripture repeatedly, sometimes without references, a present help in, in trouble, that kind of a, a, a reference. Then she serves as this managing editor for a publication for a religious magazine. The writings, the books, for, for me, sometimes I have anxiety around people where I feel like I'm vulnerable or they're judging me. And, and you're in broadcasting? And I'm in broadcasting. <laughs> so this is a bitter irony. <laughs> but, I have, but I've had that my whole life. But I did find refuge in texts because there's a way that I think God can put a text in front of you. And you're not necessarily seeing that potential enemy of whether it's the teacher or the parent or the neighbor or the disbeliever, whoever the person's going to be. You can just look at the words and grapple with the words without feeling quite ex- as, as exposed. That might be some weird psychological take on things, but... Oh, I think it's so clear that God speaks to you and Leiji in text. That's beautiful. It goes to our conversation earlier that he speaks to us in the ways Different that we modes. can understand. Yeah. And going back to that feeling of peace, I think in both of those examples, it's kind of, you know, casting out that fear first and bringing yourself to that feeling of peace and calmness to be able to then okay, kind of separate these, what are my thoughts and what are what are um, perhaps more the, the feelings that I'm getting from God. I think that that kind of helps determine those things when we put ourselves in that calm position and release that fear. And yeah, and frankly, I think that we rush at such a pace in today's modern world that we don't often take time to be still and know that I am God. We just don't take the time to put aside the routines of the world and the demands of the world to be able to take a moment, even to listen to a program like this, to listen to a woman share her deep feelings of how she has felt God in a deep way. And sometimes that takes a little deep listening and some deep thinking and, oh, man, Sometimes we just don't take time for that. And so I'm grateful for an opportunity like this to slow down, to focus on things that matter, and to feel in a deep way. What I appreciate is stepping outside of our own experiences to be able to hear the experience of someone else. We really feel that we're more the same than we're different when we take that opportunity. I was really taken by her describing her desire to dedicate her life to find God, to give up her career, to give her life to God. Yes, she felt a a powerful sense of mission. And 
I had to go back and think about when I was a young man and I was developing a faith in God. And at some point, you can't go down that road without realizing there's going to be some kind of mortification of the self. There's going to be something that happens where you say, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to not pursue blindly my own objectives. Something higher has got to kick in here. For me, it was, I remember it so well, I was studying German at the university. We were doing some old poetry. We came across the Ode to Joy. I knew the Ode to Joy from the Beethoven Symphony, but I came across just a couple of lines in that Ode to Joy in the German that spoke to me. Again, it's text again for me, but it was so powerful that I thought, this is an idea that has to be shared with the whole world. That's why I decided I could be a missionary for my church. I decided I could do that because it's feeling more and more like a calling, like God is saying, give yourself to me and my purposes. Yeah, you felt an empowerment to do something that you didn't think you might be able to do, but you felt empowered because of that sense of mission, that sense of calling. And I think that you felt that. Leiji certainly felt that. Have you felt that in your lives? I so have. I remember being a college student, and I was studying theater. And there came a point where I was asked to compromise my integrity in a way that would have given me great worldly success. And I remember that moment and going back to the foundation that I had created in my youth, just like Leiji did. And I knew that I had to choose God and choose, just like Leiji, a life dedicated to God and to helping people. And that's ultimately what I ended up choosing. And I think that's ultimately what we all end up choosing, because in the end, we're searching not for wealth, not for being prominent in the world. We're searching for meaning. And I think it's an undeniable feeling when you are serving and giving to others and promoting and inspiring, you get back this feeling of purpose and of elevation that's kind of undeniable. And that's kind of what I think all of our spirits are searching for and our bodies are searching for is more of that feeling of purpose. And there's got to be a higher purpose, I think, of of life than just earn money. And, you know, it's you got to raise the bar somewhere. It's very interesting that we're talking about how we all related to Leji, and yet we're all in very different paths right now in our lives and in our careers. And yet we're all feeling that same sense of mission that she felt. And I think she herself said, I've had lots of careers, I've had lots of jobs, but my real job has always been the same, to express love. And I think that in our own different ways, we all feel that same sense of mission to express to express love, of course, but also to help people find God's love and feel him as she has. I was so appreciative of the fact that she was allowing for God to work in whatever way God chooses to work. And we're not necessarily always able to connect the dots to make a picture that's going to look perfect for us. Even with her thoughts of suicide, it was so fascinating. It was almost with a, almost with a sense of humor that the interventions that God brought weren't necessarily the ones we would expect. And if, if I were writing the story, God would say, I love you, and so your life should, you know, don't, don't do that. Instead, it was, that car is really valuable to your sister, or the children over there might have uh, be influenced by what they see. Those seem like near misses to the real message I would script for God to give. And I just love the fact that but God, God sure is not scriptable. Her. They yeah. reached her, and she acknowledged at the end that this was his way of reaching her. Yeah, she had that experience where it was a voice so clear it could only be God. And I think all of us live lives in which we're confused in many times. Where does God want me to go? What does God want me to do? And if we just turn to her mission, which was the true job to express love, isn't that all of our true job? Isn't that what we're all here to do? Yes, and I think not only to do that, but to do it even when situations aren't ideal. She talked about a prisoner who was found not guilty. Well, there are many who are found guilty. And she talked about a father who was healed. Well, we know that there are many who are not healed. 
And I think it's to be able to find God's love, God's purpose, God's teaching, even when things don't go as we would script them with the happy ending. I think that we can recognize that, as she said, truth will be the victor and God will be the victor, but not always in the way that might be written in her magazine, not always in the way that might be the ideal ending for a movie or a book, but he will always be the victor. And I think that that's what faith is about, is believing in truth and light, that it's out there even when you can't see it, believing that it's still there. And I think she did a really good job of that through her trials and through her decisions that she was making. Do you remember the time when she was talking about the large cross that she saw? And this led me to think about a physical object. For me, it wasn't a large cross, but for me, very early in life, seeing some churches, and they weren't even churches of my own faith. They could be a cathedral or they could be a a chapel at at a mausoleum. And to see these physical structures, as she was talking about the large cross, I thought that, oh yeah, it's not just all in my head. There's something concrete that works upon me, that speaks to me when I see sacred spaces or sacred edifices. She didn't dwell on it very long, but that was very meaningful to me. Yeah, in Israel, many people go to see the spot where Jesus prayed, or the spot where Jesus walked, or the spot where God revealed the Ten Commandments to Moses. But once you're there, you start realizing that in most cases, no one knows exactly where any of these things happened. But the very fact that pilgrims have been coming for centuries makes those spots very sacred, even if the very thing we're thinking about didn't happen exactly there. The very fact that these places have been special to so many people, then we can feel the specialness of those places in our own lives as well. And that cross was etched in Leiji's mind for her entire life. I remember being at a youth camp when I was young, probably 12 years old, and looking up at these two pine trees, and in between them was a giant full moon. And I just knew, just like Leiji was talking about when she looked at the cross, I just knew that God was there, that He was aware of me, that He loved me. And I felt so significant in my insignificance. That's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists, and especially to Leiji Lessa, for generously sharing her stories and her faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Find us online at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. Email us at ingoodfaith at byu.edu and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you join us again soon, right here, In Good Faith.